Hello there, welcome to My Two Cents Podcast, where today I'll be talking to you about what happened last night at SummerSlam. This pay-per-view was the first big major pay-per-view, matter of fact, the first pay-per-view under the new regime of Triple H, um, basically running creative. So now with Triple H running creative, uh, this was the perfect outlook for everybody to see what the new era would look like. And if this pay-per-view indicated anything, I think we're in for a wild ride going into this new era. Now, going off with the pay-per-view, first match of the night at SummerSlam was the Raw Women's Championship matchup. Bianca Belair going against Becky Lynch. This is their third time facing each other off with one uh, person having to win a piece with Becky winning last year at SummerSlam, uh, Bianca Belair winning at this year's WrestleMania, and now they're in their third match here. Bianca would win this match by pinfall when Becky and Bianca were on the second turnbuckle, and Becky tried to hit a manhandle slam from the second turnbuckle, but Bianca would fight out of that, grab Becky, hit a Spanish fly, then float over and hit a KOD for the win. This was a good match between both of these ladies. Uh, Their WrestleMania match was their best one. This match was way better than their first match at SummerSlam last year. It was only like 26 seconds, but... Um, they still were able to put on a good performance. They were the opening match of the night. The crowd was hot for this matchup. They were in Bianca's home state, and it was good to see a hometown-grown talent actually win the match. Um, after the match, you would see Bianca celebrating the ring, holding the Raw Women's Championship up. Becky would look saddened, but Becky would get up and extend her hand out to Bianca to shake it. At first, Bianca doesn't want to shake her hand, but she does, and they ultimately hugging the ring so it looks like Becky has turned a new leaf here she gave Bianca her respect now and it seems like they both have respect to each other now um Becky would leave the ring she looks like she's holding her uh left or right arm one of the arms and Bianca is still celebrating in the ring and then we hear Bailey's music Bailey has been on the injury reserve list she's been injured for a whole entire year we kind of all speculated that she thought she would be coming back last uh, month at Money in the Bank, but they decided to keep her onto the sideline until they picked the right moment in the right spot, SummerSlam. Uh, Bailey would come down. The fans are happy to see her. Uh, she walks down the long entrance ramp that they have for the night, and she would stop short of the ring, and she would just stop there. You see Bianca look at Bailey because they have a feud because they didn't get to finish their feud off last year at Money in the Bank. And you would see Bailey just talk up Bianca, and then you would hear Dakota Kai's music. Dakota Kai would come out, and everybody was shocked at this. I was shocked at this because Dakota Kai is not signed with WWE at the time when uh, we saw her last. Because last time we saw her, uh, she was in NXT. She lost to Mandy Rose, I believe, and then the next thing you know, we... Uh, see that she got released from her WWE contract, but again, with a new regime with Triple H, Dakota Kai is back, and she is under WWE contract again. Uh, Corey Graves did make it known that he doesn't even know if she's under contract, but she is because they would release a t-shirt if you go to their social media account, and that lets you know Dakota is back under WWE's umbrella. Dakota would walk down to the entrance ramp. She'll stand right beside Bailey, and now Bailey's with Dakota, and then we would get Io Shirai, oh, I'm sorry, her now name on the WWE main stage is Io Sky. So Io would now walk her way down to the ring, and she's now with Bailey and, and uh, Dakota. 
Io was also on the injury reserve. She got injured at, uh, I believe, WrestleMania this year, WrestleMania TakeOver, the last time we saw her. And now she's back, and now she's on the main roster. She has aligned herself with Bailey and Dakota Kai. They will walk into the ring. They will have a stare down with Bianca. Bianca doesn't leave the ring. So it seems like she's about to get beat up on by these three ladies. But who would get in the ring to stand beside Bianca? Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch would get in the ring to stand beside Bianca. And Bianca will look at Bailey. And now Bianca would be happy because now both ladies would tell Bailey and her crew that they're ready to fight. Bailey and her crew will leave the ring and say they will do this on their time. So Raw now has Bailey, EO, and Dakota Kai on the main roster. Everybody lost their minds. We got to see the return of Dakota Kai back to WWE. And we got to see the return of both EO and Bailey off the injury reserve. So the opening uh, matchup of SummerSlam, the opening moments, was one of the legit biggest highlights of SummerSlam. But the hits wouldn't end. Um, after this, we would get Logan Paul going against The Miz, who had Maurice and Ciampa on his corner. Logan would win the match by pinfall when Logan would hit Miz with a frog splash through the commentary table. And Logan does clear some distance because there's a nice little gap between the ring and the commentary table. And once he jumps, he has to hit the frog splash in mid, uh, midway. Like, he has to put his arms to his knees and then expose it out so he can expose his body for the frog splash. It looks way more better than when I explain it to you. Just trust me. Just uh, Google search it. And he would hit Miz through the table. He would get Miz back in the ring. Maurice would get on the ring apron and distract Logan. Miz would grab a chain and try to wrap it around his hand to try to run over to hit Logan Paul with it. But Logan would move out of the way. Miz would stop short before hitting Maurice. Logan would then take this opportunity to go behind the Miz and hit him with the Skull Crusher finale for the win. Logan Paul, as a person, and I tweeted this out, I don't like the kid. I don't like him ever since that whole uh, video of him being in the suicide forest in Japan. Um, but as a professional wrestler going into WWE doing this, I don't know how long, but from his Mania match to the SummerSlam match that he had with the Miz, he has actually done well. And I'm looking at it as all the celebrities that's coming to WWE now, whether it's Logan Paul or Pat McAfee or Bad Bunny last year at Mania, or even back when Cody was doing the Stardust gimmick with Stephen Amell, it seems to me that the celebrities are taking WWE serious and taking the Wrestling Avenue serious. They, they get in the ring. They know they can get themselves hurt, so they have to be trained professionally. They don't just... Uh, boo-boo in the ring they don't try to just crap in the ring and just call it a day no they actually put in the work to actually try to become a professional wrestler to do this logan has done this and he actually did have a good match with the miz here so again i don't like him as a person but you got to give the devil his due logan paul did have a good match here with Miz, so now he's two for two we're having a good outing in wwe once at mania and now here at SummerSlam. After this, we would have the United States Championship matchup. Bobby Lashley going against Theory. Bobby Lashley would win the match by submission when Theory would go for his rolling dropkick, but Lashley would catch him in the air and then hold him up for a press slam, but then he would transition that into the hurt lock, and Theory would tap quickly. Uh, Bobby retains his United States Championship. This match was easy to predictable. We all knew Bobby was going to win. Uh, 
Theory tried to leave the match early because he realized that he has the cash and the money to make later. He has to save up his energy, but Bobby wouldn't allow him. So we get a couple more minutes with these two going at it back and forth. It's not as long as their Money in the Bank matchup, but again, it does what needs to be done here. After this, we had a notice qualification tag team matchup. The Mysterios going against Finn and Damian Priest, who had Rhea Ripley in their corner. The Mysterios would win the match by pinfall thanks to help from a returning edge. When Damian Priest would have Rey Mysterio and he would choke slam him, Finn would tell Rhea to give him a chair. Once he tells Rhea this, the lights would go out in the arena, and then we would see stairs be on fire at their entrance stage, and you would see Edge start appearing from underneath the stairs and start walking towards the ring. So Edge is back. That's where all the vignettes were showing. Uh, Damien would meet Edge as he's walking down the ramp. Edge would meet Damien with a big boot to the face, and once Edge slid into the ring, Edge would start spearing Finn, and then once Damien got in the ring, Edge would spear Damien. Edge would trip Finn, and Finn would land on the second rope. The Mysterios would hit a double 619 on Finn, and then Ray would hit a body splash on Finn from the ring apron, and then cover him for the win. This was a solid tag match. Nothing more needs to be said here. The only thing about this is that they should have used more weapons, but you understand why they don't use a lot of weapons. They only use the steel chair probably about a good, what, three or four times in this matchup here because they're trying to save all the big chair spots and all the big chair moments for the main event with the last man standing match. So they should have just had as a regular tag team match, if we're going to be honest here. And plus, with the no disqualification like uh, stipulation, Rhea Ripley only got into the matchup only selectively. She picked her spots here and there. When you have a no disqualification, it's literally everybody in your unit, in your group, can go in there and start beating up on your opponents, and Rhea did that selective. It just didn't make sense for this to be a no-disqualification matchup, which they didn't really execute on the no-disqualification situation. Again, me as a fan, I'm not trying to complain. I'm just having some constructive criticism to whatever they're trying to book here with this and try to show us, the fans, this. This should have been a straight-up tag team matchup. But again, just a regular tag match on all reality. The biggest point about this is here is that Edge is back, and more or less, we're probably going to see Edge like feuding with the Judgment Day. After this, we would get Pat McAfee going against Happy Corbin. Pat McAfee would win the match by pinfall when Pat would inadvertently shove Corbin into the ref. When Pat was punching Corbin, Corbin would uh, turn around and then like hit the referee, like, and then the ref would uh, hit the bottom rope. This would allow Pat McAfee to. Punk kick Corbin in the nuts, as I predicted in the prediction, and Pat would get on the second turnbuckle, jump and hit Corbin with a code red, and he would get the win. This was a solid match between Corbin and uh, Pat McAfee. This is not the same situation that Pat McAfee had at Mania with Theory because they were in an inside stadium with him going against Theory. This time they were in an outside stadium, and the humidity was so much on the ropes that Pat McAfee almost uh, like dropped off the top turnbuckle because there was this moment when during the match when Happy Corbin was outside of the ring and Pat McAfee was on the top rope. He was trying to do his swanton to the outside on Corbin, but he almost literally fell off of it because his feet were on the ropes, and I think the ropes were so slippery because, again, humidity. It started making everything uh, slippery. Uh, he had to catch himself, but he was still able to execute the swanton onto Corbin. 
this was a solid match between Corbin and uh, Pat. This was not Pat's matchup style with him going against Theory or him going against Adam Cole two years ago in NXT. This was just a straight-up brawling, punch-punch style match. You got Pat still doing his hits, of doing the moonsault off the top turnbuckle, him jumping up and jumping onto the top turnbuckle and hitting uh, Corbin with a superplex. But, again, this was still... Uh, straight match between Corbin and Pat McAfee. I think this is going to be the end of their rivalry here. Uh, Pat got the win. After this, Drew McIntyre will come out and say that tonight SummerSlam has been awesome. Drew would say that he'll be watching the main event tonight, and it doesn't matter who wins the match between Brock or Roman at Clash of the Castle. He's going to beat them to become the new Undisputed WWE Universal Champion. After this, we get the Undisputed Tag Team title matchup. The Street Profits going against the Usos with Jeff Jarrett as special guest referee. The Usos would win the match by pinfall when they would hit Angelo Dawkins with a double super kick, then follow it up with the 1D for the win. You know what? This match was literally hyped up to be one of the matches that everybody wanted to see because it's a tag team matchup. We know how good their match at Money in the Bank was. And to be honest with you, this did not hit that expectation. This match was literally average yes we still had montez and angelo going as hard as they could against the usos but something just wasn't there with them and montez was getting a lot aggressive during this matchup yes whenever he tried to pin one of the usos and uh jeff would make the count and the usos would kick out at two you would see montez like start shouting at jeff telling him you need to count faster and Montez just got really aggressive, and after the match, once the Street Profits lost, you saw the Street Profits literally sitting in the middle of the ring. Montez just looked like he was just blanking out. He was just staring into space, and you could tell that it's starting to crack on him. Montez's sanity is starting to crack. He's starting to snap. So I can see Montez literally about to get into some tag team matches. He's going to start getting to some big blowouts and probably even cross the line a little bit. And we might get to see either A, the Street Profits turn into bad guys tag team and Angelo following uh, Montez's uh, down this path. Or we could see the Street Profits split and went Montez just like snapping off on Angelo because Angelo lost the match for them last night. So this is two ways we can go with this. After this, we would get Riddle appearing. Riddle is out here in street clothes because he's not medically clear because of what Seth Rollins did to him on Monday Night Raw, curve stopping him twice. And they say that he got some type of spine injury. Riddle will say that Randy taught him not to take crap from anybody, and Riddle will call out Seth so they can do this. Seth would come out. He's in street clothes. And you would see backstage officials and referees try to stop Rollins from entering the ring. Riddle would run to Rollins, and they would start having a brawl in the entranceway. They would make their way to the ring, and ultimately, Seth would hit Riddle with a curb stomp. Rollins would laugh as he leaves the ring, and he starts walking up the ramp, and Riddle would uh, slowly start getting to his feet with the help of backstage officials and medical personnel. So, they are saving this match between Seth and Riddle for another time. I don't know when that time will come. I People are speculating it'll be at uh, clash at the castle i don't know they didn't pick SummerSlam. that's fine that's cool it was going to be a bigger event with a longer run time for these two to actually do their thing i'll be cool with it because i feel that riddle 
and Rollins will have a good match if you give them the time for it. You can't give them like 10 minutes. No, with the rivalry and the story that they're having for themselves, you need to give them a good solid 20 minutes so they can do what they got to do. That's just my personal opinion yet again. After this, we had the SmackDown Women's Championship matchup. Ronda Rousey going against the champion Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan would get the win, but there was controversy in the finish. When Ronda Rousey would have Liv Morgan in the armbar, and Liv has Ronda's shoulders on the mat as Liv is standing up, the referee would start making the count because Ronda's shoulder is on, shoulders are on the mat. So when he starts counting one, two, three, you see that Liv kind of taps, and the referee doesn't see it. He gives Liv the championship, and they announce Liv as champion. So when the replays start running back, you see when the referee hits two, and before he slaps his hand at three, like in the middle, you see Liv start tapping. So technically, Ronda wins the match, but the referee doesn't see it, so the ref doesn't give her the win. Liv gets the win. Ronda would get upset at this, and she would kick Liv in the back, then grab her and lock her in the arm lock again. She will start taunting the referee and saying, do you see her tapping now? Do you see her tapping now? And then you will see Ronda let go of the hold, go to the ref, hit him with a judo throw, lock him into an arm bar now, and now the referees screaming in pain, backstage officials will come out and tell Ronda to let go of the referee. And now Ronda has officially turned into a bad guy here. And the funny thing about this is that Ronda's going to get fined, and this is going to be her way to be written off television for a minute for her to do what she got to do. And I'm cool with that because we're all going to remember uh, Ronda being a bad person, and I'm cool with that. Ronda is, again, one of those attractions that, like a Brock Lesnar, like a Roman Reigns with the contract that they got for her that is set up. I'm cool with it as long as the fans know what it's about. What I don't like is they gave Liv a crappy way to win. We all knew Liv was the underdog in this matchup. We all knew that Ronda was like the big fish going against the small little fish in this matchup. And the way they had it, Ronda was beating Liv's butt all across the board in this. And now Liv just basically sneaked out a win like this. I, I'm i not technically mad as much. I just wish that they would have gave her the win without her tapping. Sure, you could add Ronda still holding the arm bar and have Liv beat Ronda by just pure preserver- uh, preservation and perseverance, all that good stuff, but you don't do that. You have her literally tap out at two. You could have ta- had her tap out literally after the referee hits the three, and then as soon as the referee hits the three, her start tapping out. That's fine, because guess what? She still got the win that way. She still held out until after three, and then she taps. So that tells you that your champ can hold on in a dear punishment. But you don't do that. You do that at the count of two. So Liv got the win with a referee being an idiot. That's basically going to be the label for that. And two, your champion can't hold on to the belt that much because she just won by pure uh, referee idiocrity. That doesn't set Liv up as a good champion. Hopefully, after this situation on SmackDown, we get some type of uh, situation where we put Liv back in a spot where she can... Show everybody that, hey, even though I'm the underdog here, I'm still going to carry the championship with some type of uh, respect. And we can uh, build upon that as live being a champion and getting the win, not just by some sneaky, crappy way of a referee being an idiot, but her 
uh, straight up being a legit champion, even though being her being an underdog, her being a legit champion, getting the win from time to time with her finish. Now that I got that grievous off my chest, now it's time for the main event. Last match standing match for the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Brock Lesnar going against Roman Reigns, who had Paul Heyman in his corner. And boy, must I say this was a legit carnage and mayhem matchup from start to finish. Because Roman Reigns, he comes out, he does his entrance, all that good stuff. Brock Lesnar's turn. Brock Lesnar comes out and he takes a couple steps on the ramp. And then he starts turning around and then he walks towards the stage and he makes a straight up left turn and you see him walk up towards a tractor. And it's not just one of those regular tractors that doesn't have something on the front of it. No, no, no. This tractor has a loader on the front of it, basically a big old shovel that they dig stuff out of the dirt and all that type of stuff. All right. So Brock would drive that tractor down to the ring and he would park it literally in front of the ring and you would see Roman Reigns start arguing with the referee telling him to tell Brock to get that crap out of here. The referee says, hey man, I can't do nothing about it. It's the last man standing match. Anything basically goes. So the last man standing match would begin with Brock Lesnar jumping off the tractor onto Roman and then they would just start beating up on each other. In this matchup, you would have tables get destroyed. You would have two tables get destroyed. You would have Brock Lesnar pick up Roman's body, put him inside of the loader, and then you have Brock Lesnar literally lift the loader up and have Roman's body get dumped into the ring. Brock Lesnar would hit Roman with three German suplexes, two F5s that wouldn't put Roman away. So what does Brock decide to do? He decides to get in the tractor, pull it back, put the loader down, put that loader underneath the ring and start having it lift up the ring and literally have the ring be tilted. So now Roman gets literally rolled outside of the ring and now you have Brock beating up more on Roman. The Usos would pop out from the crowd and now the Usos are trying to help Roman out because Roman is down bad now. However... Their help does not work. Brock would overpower the Usos, and that'll be the case here. You would see Roman constantly try to do something, but Brock would just counter it, and both men are beat up at this point. Let's not get it twisted. Roman and Brock were beating up on each other during this match, but at this particular point, Brock was still the man. So Brock, uh, I believe, hits Roman with an F5 to the outside of the ring. He tells the referee to count. Referee counts. Roman gets up. Brock does something else to him. Roman still would get up. Now, at this point, Brock Lesnar clears off the announce table and he wants to put Roman through this announce table, but Paul Heyman would get in Brock's way at this point. He would say, hey, man, listen here. I have been with you for 20 years. What? You can't do this now. This man is my meal ticket. I love this man. You want to be champion so much? Here you go. And Paul throws the belts onto Brock's chest and declares him universal champion. And he says, you happy now? Leave Roman alone. Leave him alone. Brock would throw the belts off of him, pick Paul Heyman up, and F5 him through the announce table. Once that happens, Roman gets up and hits Brock with a spear. Now, both men are down. Paul Heyman's down. The Usos are down. The ring is tilted up. It looks completely like Mayhem just swept through this situation here. 
and out walks Theory. Theory with his referee. Theory would come down and he says that he wants to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, but that doesn't happen. And Brock gets up, goes over, grabs Theory, and hit him with an F5 onto his briefcase. You would see the Usos get up, they super kick Roman once in the back, once in the front. Now they're down. Roman gets up and he starts beating up on Brock. He grabs Theory's briefcase and starts beating up on Brock in the back with it. He gives one shot to Theory, calling him a stupid SOB. And now he beats up on Brock with the briefcase. The referee makes the count. Brock gets up. Roman grabs the WWE Championship. He hits Brock in the head with it. Roman is now waiting for the referee, makes the count. Brock gets up. And now you see Roman with desperate eyes, and he's trying to figure out what does he got to do to keep Brock Lesnar down. He would get the Universal Championship from Jay, and Roman would hit Brock with the Universal Championship. And now Roman has the idea of start telling the Usos to start throwing things on top of Brock's body. They put broken pieces of the announce table on him. They put uh, steel steps on the man. They put chairs on him. And ultimately, to finish it off, Roman Reigns would stand on top of Brock's body with the one finger in the air as the referee makes the count. And the referee makes the count to 10. Brock doesn't get up. So Roman Reigns is still your WWE Undisputed Universal Champion. Again, this last man standing match was complete mayhem and carnage. I mean, if you want to see that, you can go to YouTube and try to look for the highlights for it. But if you want to see the whole match in totality, I would suggest go to the Peacock app and really just watch this match. I'm doing a review of it, but trust me, if you see it, you'll be like, oh my God, this is what they did? Yes, this was a lot of carnage and a lot of mayhem. Uh, SummerSlam, again, from start to finish, to me personally, I found it good. I found it great. I didn't like the Universal Tag Team title match, but it's furthering a story of basically Montez snapping or the Street Profits turning from good guys to bad guys. Only time will tell. And with, again, the biggest type things coming out of this was basically Dakota Kai, Bailey, Io, Shirai coming back, and basically the final chapter of Brock and Roman being ending here. I'm not mad at this SummerSlam, to be honest with you. There is one thing I do want to question though with triple h now having the pencil to make anything happen with creatively what new stories is he going to make i know he likes some of his nxt guys that he had down at nxt before they got bastardized when they went up to wwe what i mean by bastardized ladies and gentlemen i mean they were treated completely poorly i'm talking about finn balor the only time he had a good run in the wwe was whenever he really got brought from the nxt roster to the main roster in 2016 and that was literally only for a short couple weeks before he got injured and he was out for a whole entire year everybody else after that fact i don't think has had a good run on the main roster you had like different guys carrying cross he was a good guy that could have been easily uh put on the main roster he had the size he had the look he even had the whole entire gimmick for him and his wife scarlet but that went completely downhill Keith Lee, we all know what happened there. Not, <laughs> he didn't do well on the main roster. There's been a plethora of stories. You can look back at the annals of NXT time from NXT call-ups to the main roster that were Triple H guys that didn't do well. The only people that literally came up to him from NXT, and not really, was that got done right was technically only 
the Shield. Seth was NXT champion, but Roman and Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, they didn't spend much time on NXT television. The only person did was Seth Rollins because he was NXT champion at the time. But those are like the only people. Sami Zayn just started getting his respect, what, in 2020 after doing this whole uh, conspiracy thing that he's been doing. And now that he's with the Tribal Chief thing, being their lackey, he's starting to now get on the roll. Uh, Kevin Owens, he's been a guy that I can say, you know what, he's been treated right since he's been from the NXT brand to the WWE brand, so that's another one. I can say that. We can chalk that up being him having a good run so far. Uh, but it'll be like 1 to 10. You get one good person out of the NXT batch that had a good run on NXT, and you think they're going to do well on WWE, but they just don't because somebody in the top brass spot when Vince McMahon was running it on the creative side didn't like them, or they just didn't get them, and now they're going to be, like, satin with a horrible, terrible gimmick, or they're going to be on the main roster for a little bit of time, and then, crapsky, you're done. So, now, with Triple H having the pencil, I want to see how people's careers are going to change. I want to see how Finn Balor's career is going to change, because Triple H is really high on Finn Balor, and always has been. I want to see how Champa's career is going to change. Is he still going to be with The Miz, or is he going to be on his own, and Champa's going to have some time on television? Ricochet's another one. Ricochet just started getting a push, what, early this year, when he beat, uh, who he beat for the Intercontinental title? Uh, right now, it's coming to a blank for me, but he was Intercontinental champion, and then he lost it to Gunther. Well, I mean, I want to see what creatively is going to look like with Triple H being the helm of it. But if SummerSlam's any indication of it, I feel that we're in for a wild ride with Triple H literally at the creative position. And what I mean by wild ride, I mean in a good hands wild ride. I think that Raw and SmackDown are going to be, I mean, they're going to have duds from time to time because they can't always create magic fire every week. But I think a good three times out of four on Raw and SmackDown throughout the whole month, you're going to have three Raws and three SmackDowns that are going to be good and that it's going to be having people talking about and can't wait to see the next week, in my personal opinion. But with that all being said, SummerSlam was good. I hope you guys do check it out. This has been my SummerSlam review. Also, if you haven't checked out my Sunday episode, my Sunday episode is out now. I do love you all. Please have a good Sunday. This has been my SummerSlam review. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.